Mm-hmm. Lord have mercy. Well, it is so great to be here this morning. Turn, if you would, to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans as we continue on through our quest to finish the book of Romans before the Lord comes. We need to hurry because it's looking like he's going to come soon. Amen. Good to see y'all back. Amen. Praise the Lord. Romans 10. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for this beautiful music and, Lord, just being lifted up to the very gates of heaven. I pray now, Lord Jesus, you'll give me the power, uh, the courage, uh, the stamina, the love to preach what you've laid on my heart. God, may people not see me, but they may see you. See Jesus high and lifted up. May we not be ashamed of what you want to do in our lives today. We thank you for that grace. Thank you for Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Going through the book of Romans, we've learned a couple of things. Number one, we've definitely learned that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. You can't put him in a box. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He's master of the universe. He's sovereign. But also in the book of Romans, we've also understood that man has a responsibility. Now, some people don't like to hear that, uh, and we men don't like to hear it. But um, it's talking about men and women both. Our responsibility is to respond to the gospel and the calling of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what our responsibility is. Uh, If you're here today and you're wanting to see people saved, I got news for you. You can't save nobody. Nobody in the world. That's above your pay grade. The only person who can save is Jesus. What he's asking us to do today is sow the seed. Just sow the seed. As we walk through life, just sow the seed. Romans continues here in 10 with Paul's burden for his people. And then the problem that the Jews had is that they bound themselves to the law. They attempted to keep the law, and yet they couldn't keep the law. Now, uh, and he answers that in Galatians 3.10, the Bible says, As many are as of the works of the law are under the curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So the deal is this. The law never could save anybody. But the law was there as a standard to show us that we fall short. Jesus is the only one who can save people. The purpose of the law was to reveal a man's sin and his unrighteousness and point people to Christ. But he says Israel followed after the law of righteousness. Now, let's just dissect this here quickly this morning. Number one, I want you to note with me Paul's desire for Israel. It ought to be the same desire that we have today, and that is to see people saved, to see people saved. He said, I, my heart's desire is to see my, 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 my family, Israel, saved, 
today? Is that your heart's desire? He had a burden and the prayer came from his heart and it was his heart's desire that the people would be saved. Now, when you start praying like that, I I think of three kinds of prayer that you're going to need. Number one, you're going to need emotional prayer. Mm. Now, I know some of y'all right now saying, "I, I don't like this emotionalism stuff. I, had a, I was going to a revival about, I don't know, four or five years ago. Preacher said, you know, <clears throat> we, we, we got a little problem. I said, well, what's the problem? Well, you know, some of our people have heard you, and they think maybe you may be over the top, over the edge. <laughs> and they want to make sure our church doesn't get tied up emotionally and get over the edge. After that first sermon, as dead as Queen Anne in that place, I told that preacher, I said, you ain't got a thing to worry about. Your, your church is not even close to the edge. You say, what do you mean emotional? This week, I had an 82-year-old lady from England. She jumped me and chewed me up one side and down another. She said, I don't like you singing I'll Fly Away. I don't like you singing When We All Get to Heaven. Uh, And she gave me a song, Oh God of Breath. Oh God, breathe on me, breath of God, or breath of life, something like that. And and we sang it for her on the last night. You know, it's a good song. But I said, why don't you like, my goodness, I'll Fly Away is the best song in the book. Uh, You know, and when we all get to heaven's running, she said, I've got, when that day happens, I've got family that's not going to be there. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. We probably all do. What are you doing about it? And I mean, I was being nice to her, and she said, well, there's nothing I can do. I said, oh, you're wrong. There's a whole lot you can do. She said, no, you know, the truth is, and I hear this, and and some of y'all are going to get upset when I get through with this, but you just hang on. I'm just telling you the truth. I said, you need to be praying for them. She said, well, I pray for them. But she said, you know, they're good people. They, they made a profession of faith, joined the church back 50 years ago, and they just have been out of fellowship. But they're good people. They're good people. They're going to be all right. I said, no, ma'am, they're not. They're going to hell. Well, how, how do you know that? I said, I know that because they don't have any fruit. Now, we need to quit kidding about this. The Word of God says if Jesus is on your inside, there's going to be some evidence on your outside. I'm just That's the truth. Now, you know why nobody's at the altars crying and praying? Because we've convinced ourselves that our kids and our family and all them are really good people. And they made a profession of faith back in, in junior, you know, and, and they're all right. They're not all right. That's why we need to come to realize, until you come to realize that your family is going to go to hell, lost, you're not going to get teary-eyed about them. When you, as long as you're saying, well, I know they're, deep down they're all right. No, they're not all right. That's why this prayer's got to be emotional. Because if you don't pray them through and the Holy Spirit bring them through, you're not going to see them again. Wow. So it's an emotional. He said, my heart's desire. I'm I'm tired of fooling and I'm not going to lie about it anymore. My heart's desire is to see them saved. Because if they're not saved, I know what happens to them. So it's an emotional. 
it's also consistent. It's consistent. It doesn't just happen one time. He continually prays, continually. I was doing some wedding vows for a couple, not in this church, uh, renewal, 50 years. And I came down to that part about love and cherish. You promised to do that. And he said, I told her I'd do that 50 years ago, and if anything changed, I'd let her know. I said, that's really not the kind of marriage that we're talking about here. And yet, many of our prayer lives are just like that. Lord, I prayed my family to get saved. Well, yeah, you did that 10 years ago. And then when some evangelist comes in, you'll remember it and you'll do it again. But I'm talking about continual. Every time you got a burden because they're going to go to hell. And you're continually, day after day, praying, oh, God, do something. See, most of us are just praying, Lord, bless me. But when we come to the place where we say, oh, God. And then it's a zeal. He, he said, you, you got, they got a zeal. But the problem is it's an ignorant zeal. It's wrong. Now, I, I shouldn't say this because this is not in my notes. And when I say things in my notes, I usually get in trouble because I didn't mean to say them. They're not in my notes. But I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How is it? And I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me. Okay? None of y'all. I'm talking about me. How is it that I can go to a high school football game or a college football game and holler and scream until I can't even talk? I, I, I do that. I'm so wore out, I can hardly drive home from the football game. I mean, you know, and at that football game, Everything they do is against my nature. The coach makes decisions I don't like. The cheerleaders did a, 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 a cheer that I'd never heard before. And they call me a fan. And then I can come into a church and I can talk about a man named Jesus that left heaven in all of its glories, that came down and was born in a manger, that was flogged, that was beaten, that was whipped, that had a, a cat of nine tails, that, that, uh, a spear in his side, a crown of thorns on his head, all because of, of me and my sin. You better not raise your hand and say hallelujah. You better not say Amen. They call you a fanatic. All right, let me get back on key. I just, I just, thank you, brother. Amen. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't swim very good. If you're ever around me and I holler, I'm drowning. I don't kid about that, buddy. I'm drowning. And I want to tell you something. I don't care which one of you it is. But if you're one of them laid back guys and, well, I think I can get to him. I don't come out after me. I want somebody with some zeal that dives off that thing and heads straight for me. Says, I can save you. I want somebody with some zeal. Prayer. That they were ignorant of it. And then you get down to verse 5, just walking through here. Moses describes the law. He said in verse 5, Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, 
Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. What saith it? Now, what he's saying here is that the law uh, restrained man from sin. It gave him boundaries. But the only way that a man could receive righteousness from the law was to live by the law. No one has done that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> i got to quit taking that Alleg uh, Allegra D. <laughs> uh, it's not preaching too much. It's just Allegra D, I promise you. Hmm. All right. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, the only way a man can be saved is by coming to Jesus Christ. Now, that's not popular today. And I want to tell you, uh, the way our country looks like it might be headed, it's going to be less popular two years from now than it is today. But it's still the truth. Then, Christ's plan of salvation. We can't do Romans 10 and not major on the plan of salvation. It, it's just here. Now, righteousness, which is by faith, speaketh on these wise. In other words, uh, you, you'd have to be justified by the law. And what he's saying here, it's not necessary to go up to heaven to bring Christ down. Now, why is it not necessary? Because he's already done that. It's not necessary to go down into the deep and bring Christ up. Why is it not necessary? Because he's already done that. See, the Christian faith is not based on what you need to do. It's based on what's already been done. He's already conquered death and hell. He has the keys to the kingdom. It's already done. Well, then how am I going to get to it? How, how do I get it? Well, he talks about that in verses 8 through 13. The word in the New Testament, soteria, is salvation or deliverance. It means going from sin all the way over to righteousness. It's a biblical term. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to realize you're a sinner. And you cannot save yourself. Now, for most of you ladies here and young people even, that's, that's not hard to do. But for you men, that's tough. I mean, you know, the truth is, if a woman would have been heading Israel instead of a man, they'd have stopped at a 7-Eleven, got directions, and been in the promised land. <laughs> but there's no man going to stop for directions. Huh? I mean, we, we're men. We drink our iced tea sweet out of a mason jar, and ain't nobody going to tell us what to do. Well, when you come to salvation, you cannot do it. There is no way you can do it. It's, it's, it's impossible. You become saved by publicly confessing Jesus as Lord. Verse 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and, and then believe in the heart God raised him from the dead. But first of all, confession, publicly confession, in a verbal manner. The Lord word Lord is kupios there, meaning raising Christ from the human level up above the human level. Christ is deity. He's not, he's not your brother or your best friend or your bro. I want to tell you, he's king of kings and lord of lords. That's who he is. And you've got to confess that with your mouth. And, and, and then, not holding anything back, uh, you, you've got to be saved by inwardly allowing Jesus to act as the lord of your life. 
The most tragic times was when I was in youth ministry. And young people would come in and sit across the desk from me. And they say, Brother Charles, you don't know my family. My daddy takes the offering. My daddy's a deacon, teaches Sunday school, sings in the choir. My mama is always there, and they're faithful, and they got a smile on. It's not that way at home. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to be as spiritual at home as you are at church, because we all know we're putting on a good show up here. We wear our best clothes. We've got our best spirit, best attitude. There's some that don't. Some just crank in sire, and they're going to be that way no matter where they are. <laughs> but for the most part, most of us, you know, we're, going, we're going to try to make a good impression. And I'm not telling you you need to be the same way at home as you are at church, but I am telling you it ought not to be daylight and dark difference. If you love the Lord Jesus, there ought to be some proof of it coming out of your spirit and attitude. And if it's not, you need to check and make sure that you know the Lord Jesus. And then you become saved by acknowledging that God raised Jesus from the dead. In verse 9, the second part, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, preacher, why is that so important? Because our whole foundation of the Christian faith is built upon the fact that Jesus is not dead. You can go find Muhammad's bones. You can find Buddha's bones. You can find Hare Krishna's bones. You can find Jim Jones' bones. You can find Billy Graham's bones. But you can't find the bones of Jesus because he's not there. He's alive. And we've got to confess it and then believe it in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Born of a virgin, died for my sin, and then rose from the dead. And then you're saved when your whole life demonstrates and professes Jesus as Lord. You see, salvation is not a one-time event. When you make your profession of faith, that's your getting on spot. Okay? When I say, how do you know you're saved? Don't go back 40 years ago and tell me when you got saved. Tell me what happened yesterday and what's going on today. Because salvation is a current, ongoing progression. We're justified, truly, the moment. We're being sanctified. And we're growing more to being conformed in the image of Christ every day that we live. That, that's our life. So if you're not growing then something's wrong. Our whole life ought to be demonstrating the Lord in prayer, in benevolence, tribulation, trial. He's Lord over all. And then let me just close this section with one more point. You're only saved God's way. I, I wish I could tell you, go on and enjoy the most of the worldly life you can, and there'll be a time at the end where you can slip in and say, Lord, forgive me, and you can be saved. But the real truth is, the Bible says, my spirit will not always bear witness with man. Romans 1 tells us that there was a time when he gave them up. He said, you're on your own. I don't know when that is. I can tell you this, though. If you're here and the Lord's dealing with your heart, it's not today for you. 
It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be 10 years. I'm not telling you when. I'm just telling you the time to do business with God is when God's doing business with you. If he's saying to your heart today, you need to be saved, I'm telling you, you need to be saved today. Because tomorrow may not be here. We have no idea what's going to happen during the night. No earthly idea. But the way to salvation for all people is not religion. It's not denomination. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now that means we've got a real dilemma on our hand. If you're, uh, if, if you're trying to be political and you're trying to please people, and you're trying to be somebody good in this city, in this East Texas, you probably don't need to be a member of Woodland Hills Baptist Church. You probably need to find you a church that says, let's, let's tone it down. There are many ways to get to heaven. And, and there are plenty of them around. There's plenty of them around. But I'm telling you, as long as I got breath, I'm preaching there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And it's to do it at his time, not your time. We didn't get up and decide, well, I think I'm going to be saved today. Mm -mm. The Holy Spirit came looking for us. Knocked on our heart's door. Some immediately turned. I never will forget. My mama, I scared death of her. She was, mm. And uh, I remember the revival we started, and my mama said, uh, do not go down that aisle. Uh -huh, okay. And man, you know, I'd been asking questions and finally on Wednesday night, I couldn't take it no more. I went down the aisle. And of course, I was crying. Everybody else in the church was crying. They were crying because I got saved. I was crying because I knew I was going to get a whipping when I got home. <laughs> and my mama came by and she said, I'm so happy. I said, Mama, you told me not to do this, and I did it. She said, I knew if, if I didn't tell you not to do it, you'd get caught up and you'd do whatever. But if you went against what I said, I knew God really saved you. <laughs> I can't take very many whippings off, but that's one I can take off. <laughs> Amen? It's through Jesus, the only way. And then closing out this chapter, we see here that you need to have a preacher. Now, you can declassify this if you begin in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Mm. Now, your preacher is kind of important. And this is a tough verse to try to preach. I wish somebody else was preaching it. But I want to just tell you, for your own benefit, your own physical health, your own spiritual mind, and your own emotional stability, you don't have to recognize Charles Hunt, but you better recognize the office of the pastor of this church because the Bible says God has called me. Now, some of you think you did. That's all right. I'll let you live in your dream world. Some of you think it's turned into a nightmare, 
But I want to tell you, <laughs> I'm the most fortunate pastor in the world to get up and preach at this church. There's nobody. I got preachers that are so jealous of me uh, just simply because, you know, and every one of them say, well, I, man, if something happens to you, you know, I said, it, 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 don't worry about your name. It ain't nothing. It just disappoints them. But the preacher, now, let, let, let's dissect it down a little bit. Because technically, you can take that Greek word for preacher, and it means every one of us in here. Every one of us. We're to be sowing the seed. We're to be witnessing to people. We're to constantly be doing that. Not just on a Monday night or Tuesday night visitation. All our life. Amen. We're to be doing that. That's what he's saying here. That, listen, this is why we support missions. This is why we believe in evangelism. This is why we pray for our pastors and staffs and teachers. This is why we encourage you to witness that the message of Christ would go forth. And I got some sad news for you. Some of y'all are a lot older than I am and you've never figured this out. But the real truth is, hmm, the Republicans are probably no more your friend than the Democrats are. That's not what this world needs. What this world needs is Jesus. What this world needs is the moral attributes that got us to the country we are that was founded on the Word of God. And you'll find those kind of people in both, both uh, parties. I'm telling you, we need Jesus. We ought to be on our knees praying for our country more than ever before. Isaiah said... Not all have obeyed the gospel. It wasn't that the Jews had not heard it. They didn't believe it. And then in verse 17, he says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's the important thing we've got to push. That's why right now, while we're in here, there's a preschool church going on, and I'm going to tell you, they're feeding them the word of God. There's a children's church going over there, and I'm telling you, they're feeding them the Word of God. That's what we need, the Word of God. Isaiah says, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid it as if it were our faces from him, despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. I know everybody wants to take that physically. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. But I want to tell you, he's talking about our spiritual lives a whole lot more important than our physical life. You may have cancer and leave this world, but if you've got Jesus, you're headed for a place with a new body. It's going to be better than anything you've ever seen. I don't know how it can be better than chicken and dumplings and all that, but I'm telling you, it's going to be better. It's going to be better. I have not seen nor ear heard what the Father has in store. <laughs> so what do we do now? Well, the human responsibility says that you have a decision to make. You've been presented the plan of salvation, and it's up to you to decide what you're going to do with it. It's simple. 
It's simple faith in Christ, believing he died for your sins, accepting him as your Savior. It's so simple that the Bible says if you don't come like a child, you can't even be saved. That's how simple it is. But the opportunity is in your hands now. What are you going to do with it? Maybe God has laid upon your heart to become a member of this church. I want to tell you, there's not a better church anywhere around. Maybe God's laid upon your heart that you need to be just down here at this prayer altar. (laughs) I think most of us are lying myself. I'm not sure how we sit through a service and talk about we think the Lord's coming soon, our our loved ones are lost, our country's going to hell in a handbasket, and then nobody even come and kneel and pray at the altar. I remember those days when revival would come. We was in church this week, hadn't had a revival in 33 years. And they're not going to have another one for another 33 too, I can promise you. His very, I'm not being negative, I'm just telling you, this is the way the world's thinking now, the church. You can't take up a love offering for revival now. Well, that's fine. I don't, you know, y'all take care of me. I don't need no money. He said, you got to treat this like a Christmas program. It's like a performance. And I thought, now, we say, "Mm." some of you came out of places just like that with no revival, no concern. But there used to be two doors in them little small country churches. And before revival, right before it started, the men would come out that door. And the women would come out that door. And they'd been in there, and you could go in that room, and the carpet would be wet with tears. You know why there were tears? Because they understood that people who die without Jesus go to hell. And it broke their heart. But we just sashay in, and hey, everything's fine. Beautiful day, everything's fine. Well, it's your decision. But I want to tell you one thing. I'll give you a little advice. If you're a grandfather in here and you've got some grandkids, you ought to be the first one down this aisle praying for these people. You say, well, they live in a godly family. They do now, but things change every day. They change every day. You ought to be praying. You ought to be shedding tears for your family and your loved ones in this country. Father, we're grateful today for your love for us. Lord, have mercy. You so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, don't let us just look at that and blink and go on. God, may we take that to heart. May we put it within our mind and our hearts today. No matter who we are, how long we've been a member of a church, Lord, if we need to have a relationship with you, don't let us leave here without that. Others that need to become a part of this church and fellowship, Lord, you move them as you desire. Then there are others, Lord. Would you fill these altars up? Could once again in this church, we hear the moaning and the, the prayers And see the tears of people that are lost that need Jesus. 
Help us to not be complacent. But oh God, may we reach out with a heart full of love. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as Brother Aaron leads us in music. Come right now. Would you stand with me? Just Christian, lead the way. Don't wait on somebody else. Come on. I am without one plea, but altar up. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will do things you never dreamed possible.
seated. Hey, Woodland Hills, here's what's happening. Hilltoppers, let's meet this Tuesday in the Grand Hall. Come at 11 for a time of singing and fellowship, followed by lunch and games. Hope to see you there. Are you new to Woodland Hills? Do you have questions about our church or want to know more? 
Come and join Brother Case and Miss Brittany this Wednesday night at six o'clock in the conference room for our connection class. Here we hope to answer any questions you may have and give you some more information about Woodland Hills. Mommy and me will be meeting this Friday at 9.30 in the Grand Hall here at our main campus. If you're a stay-at-home mom, come and join us for a time of Bible study and fellowship. We have a great time together. We hope to see you there. You're invited to join us this Friday night at East Texas Baptist University for the Perkins Family and Friends Reunion Concert. This will take place at the Ornelas Spiritual Life Center at 7 o'clock. It's going to be a great time of worship and we hope you can come. We are getting excited about this year's Trunk or Treat held on October 31st. We're still in need of about 15 trunks. So if you've got a car that you're willing to come up and pass out candy and love on the community, won't you join us that night? Sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, we've got a special junior high retreat tailored just for you that will be held on November 9th and 10th at Lakeview Baptist Encampment. This year's theme is Child of the King. See Jason for more information. We're so glad you came and worship with us today. Make sure and check your bulletin for the rest of the weekly happenings. Have a blessed week. Today is Pastor Appreciation Day. Brother Charles and Brother Case, we love you and appreciate you. We have some verses we want to read over you. My verse is Jeremiah 3.15. It says, And we will give you pastors after my own heart who will guide you with wisdom and understanding. Thessalonians 5.12 says, Now, brothers, we ask you to respect those people who work hard with you and who lead you in to the Lord to teach you. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and be under their, their authority. These men are watching you because they are responsible for your souls. Obey them so that they will do this work with joy, not sadness. It will not help you to make their work hard. Brother Charles and Miss Becky, Brother Case and Miss Brittany, our Sunday school groups took up a gift for you. Will you please stand and be recognized? have some people that didn't get to be here during Sunday school and wanted to have a chance to give a special gift and say thank you. If our ushers would come down, Lexi is going to say a prayer for you both and then Brother Charles, we have some messages for you from some people out of town.
dear Lord, please help these pastors that we have at our church to have a great rest of the day and help them to have um, their families so they can have more um, loving times and think we love our pastors in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Herb Revis, the pastor of the North Jacksonville Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And I am excited to be a part of Pastor Appreciation Day at Woodland Hills Baptist Church in Longview, Texas. I want to congratulate my good friend Charles Hunt on being a man after God's own heart. Brother Charles, you are the Texas tornado. You are vigilant in your preaching of the gospel. You are fearless in your defense of God's holy word. You are the consummate pastor. And I want you to know it is a privilege to call you friend. I admire you and I love you and uh, wish I could be there with you for this day. But just wanted you to know that you've got a friend in Jacksonville, Florida that says congratulations on this great day of appreciation. God bless. From sunny Comanil, Texas, just want to take the opportunity to say happy Pastor Appreciation Day, Brother Charles. I certainly am thankful for you. You've been a good friend to me through the years, and I thank God for you. You're the hardest working, working preacher I know, and God has used you to touch many lives and build great churches. Every church I've ever been a part of where you have served as pastor has been blessed of God. I've seen the evidence of the hand of the Lord. The people of God fed and grown, and I thank the Lord for you, brother. I appreciate you so much, and I hope you have a great day, and may the church be blessed. Hey, folks, Mark Trammell here. I just want to take a moment to talk to Brother Charles. We love you in Jesus, my friend, and you are such a blessing to us, and you've been an encouragement to our ministry ever since we started and started coming to your place for all of the pastor's conferences different times that we've been there with you and we understand that uh, this is Pastor Appreciation Day and from us, all of us at Mark Trammell Quartet and all of this ministry, we want to say how much we appreciate you and all the years of service that you've given to Woodland Hills. I know they love you, we love you, we look forward to seeing you again. It's a real joy to be able to congratulate Brother Charles Hunt on this Pastor Appreciation Day. About four and a half years ago, when my wife was having her brain surgery at MD Anderson in Houston, uh, that morning to look up and see him come into the hospital and sit there with me uh, throughout that entire day. And what, a, uh, what a blessing, and uh, I will never get over uh, that. And so thank you so much for that. So again, on this day, Brother Charles, thank you for your service for the Lord, and may God continue to bless you. Well, Charles, you always called me Mr. Right. Well, there's one thing that you can be assured of. I am right when I call you a friend. I never have had a friend closer to me than what you have been uh, since I've known you. And I, I truly appreciate that. Uh, you know, I mean, there's times in my life that when I've been the lowest, uh, you brought me up to the highest. Uh, those late nights on the road when I traveled and I was so discouraged and you'd call me a 
11, 11.30 at night, and he'd spend an hour talking to me on the phone and, and encourage me and to keep on going. And, and that's really meant a lot to me, and I appreciate the friendship that you and Becky have been uh, to not only me, but to Judell as well. And we treasure that friendship. I also want to say that your life has shown me what it really means to be what God wants us to be. As I watched you, I, I watched the passion that you have for God's work. Uh, a lot of men that I've met, I've never met anyone that has a bigger passion to fulfill what God has called them to do than what you do. And then when I think about vision, uh, you and I have shared a lot of visions together. But the greatest vision that I've learned in my life is a vision that you've had to believe that there's not anything that God can't do. I watched Ridgewood go from hardly anything to where it was when you left Ridgewood. I watched Woodland Hills and the, and the work that God has used you there to lead the people in, in doing what you have done there at Woodland Hills. And it has taught me that there's not anything that God can't do. And, and I appreciate that, that you have encouraged me to believe like that. And then I just want to say that uh, a word about the staff that you have surrounding you. Uh, I've learned from you that it's the people around us that make us what we are. You know, I've always said that in all of us as pastors, that it's the people behind us that, that do so much that we get very little credit for. But I want to just say that you have a tremendous staff those that work around you, a tremendous music program. Case does a great, great job uh, being associate pastor, uh, Christy with the kids, and, and it just goes on and on. And so your life has taught me more than you'll ever know. And so I just want to say today on this uh, Pastor Appreciation Day, thank you for being a friend, uh, for teaching me so many things in my own life of how to walk with God, to believe God and to surround myself with people uh, that, that does an outstanding job for the glory of God. So I pray that today will be a great, great day uh, in, in the celebration of Pastor Appreciation for you and the wonderful staff there at Woodland Hills. So thank you so much. Hi, I'm Robert Jeffers, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. And on this Pastor Appreciation Day, I want to say a word of appreciation for my good friend, that honky-tonk piano-playing pastor, Charles Hunt of Woodland Hills Baptist Church. I love Brother Charles, appreciate his friendship. It's exciting for me to come every August and just see the way God is blessing his ministry and the ministry of this great church. So church, thank you for standing behind Charles and his wife and all of their family. And we praise God for what he's doing at Woodland Hills. I look forward to seeing you soon.